Would you open God's precious holy word? We'll be in 2 Chronicles 10 and 1 Kings 12, which are, as you're going to see, almost identical, except for hmm, maybe three or four Hebrew words that changes a phrase in a sentence just a little bit. They are practically the same. Rebellion against Rehoboam. Solomon is dead now here. His son assumes the throne. Just going to read through this and then make about seven points that I have on the final slide here for us to reflect on all that's happening in this uh, situation when Rehoboam becomes king of Israel. First of all, in 2 Chronicles 10, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Now that's all the 12 tribes, understand. They all came under King David. They all followed under Solomon. Then of course, Solomon entered into grievous sin and judgment is going to be passed on Israel essentially because of Solomon and on Solomon because of what his son will have to face here. So now all of Israel has come to Shechem to make him king. And it was when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of this. He was in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. Jeroboam returned from Egypt. You may recall Jeroboam had been a servant but then he was found with other ideas and uh, he escaped uh, the death penalty and he is down in Egypt. At this point, it's a different Pharaoh in Egypt than the one who gave Solomon his first wife. Egypt is not as friendly toward Israel at this point in time as Egypt had been under Solomon because of the change in Egyptian leadership. So Jeroboam returns from Egypt when he hears that Solomon is dead. Solomon's the one that was after him, going to kill him. And, and also with Solomon's death, Jeroboam was a very popular political figure among the 10 northern tribes. So, and, and the 10 northern tribes had a sense of independence, and we'll see more about that as we go through this. Uh, and therefore, in a lot of ways, did not feel as beholden to the concept of the complete nation of Israel, all the 12 tribes, um, as did Judah and the little tribe of Benjamin who was down there with, with Judah. So, hearing of... Solomon's death. Jeroboam comes back from Egypt. They sent and called him, that is those northern tribes. Jeroboam came in all of Israel and they spoke to Rehoboam saying, your father made our yoke hard. Now lighten your father's hard work and his heavy yoke that he placed upon us and we shall serve you. He said to them, give me three days to think about this. And speak to my counselors, that's what he's saying. And then return to me. And the people uh, departed. King Rehoboam conferred with the elders 
who had stood before Solomon, that is, Solomon's council, the older generation, who had stood before Solomon, his father, when he was alive, saying, how do you advise me to reply to this people? And they spoke to him, saying, if you will be kind to this people, and you will appease them and speak to them good words, they will be your servants for all times. Okay. This older generation of leaders had seen, had experienced, and had heard about from their fathers the strife that existed between those northern tribes and especially the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah, a lot of things could, could be playing into here. I don't, it doesn't say, but you have to think of what human nature is. The tribe of Judah back in Genesis 49 received from the inspired hand of Jacob, Israel, when he was dying, the promise that the kingly tribe, the king, and the kingly tribe would be the tribe of Judah. Judah would be the progenitor of the, of the leaders, of the kings of Israel. So it would be from Judah that the Messiah would come, essentially. But during their time in Israel, it would be one of the tribe of Judah. By the time they were in the Exodus and were making their way toward the promised land, Judah outnumbered practically all of the other tribes put together. They were large and strong and big. And when I say big, I mean they were numerically big and strong. And so they were put in the leadership position in that square, three tribes all along each side, they were the ones that went out front and they were the leaders and their standard led everybody else. They were the first ones to meet whatever was to be met. And so they had a high honor and, rep and reputation. Now there could have been some jealousy about that, I don't know. These of the other tribes thinking, well, we're equal to Judah. Why should we be subservient to Judah? All kinds of things could have uh, festered over the generations. It was, uh, David reigned seven years over Judah. And then 33 years, it took him seven years to bring the other tribes into the fold. Then he reigned the next 33 years over all 12 tribes. So David, David met, uh, you know, you don't find that kind of a problem when Saul, or not, not to this extent, when Saul was king. But early on, Saul dies, David becomes king, and, and the independent, the independent uh, spirit of the tribes begins to set in even though it was, it was the will of God, the purpose of God through the patriarch of God, Israel, that Judah would be the royal tribe, the lawgiver. He would carry the scepter. He would be the king, the leader. 
But it still was a difficult thing to bring all of these other tribes together so that they could be one nation, the nation of Israel. A lot of that I'm sure plays into this part here, but they separate themselves. Now you don't see this, you don't see this kind of objection or question coming from the other tribes, but you see it coming especially from the 10 Northern tribes and they're saying they were complaining. Uh, your, your father increased the workload on us. And I think you can extract from the story of Solomon that he didn't require from Judah what he required from, from the other tribes. So they're asking, they're saying, we'll buy into this thing again. We served your father, David, and we'll buy into this thing again, like, you know, like this is up to us. We'll buy into this thing again if you will just ease up on us and keep it from being so hard and so difficult. Solomon had built an empire to the point where it required a vast organization and, a, and an immense amount of money, a sum of money, to keep it going. And at that level of world uh, leadership, they were able to, for the most part, maintain the peace and, and receive tribute from other nations who were smaller and not as rich and not as powerful as the nation of Israel. But the guy who made that happen, of course, was Solomon. And with his death, these other tribes now feel as though it's a good time for them to lay the law down to him. We're being mistreated. We're not being treated fairly. And we want you to be kind to us and lighten the load on us. And we'll serve you. Now, this is what the, now the, elder, the elder council, the older group of men saw this, they understood, they lived through it. They knew what it was all about. <clears throat> and so they said to him, you know, just be kind to them, appease them, lighten up a little bit on them. It's not going to cause the economy to collapse. Listen to them and work with them and they will be your servants for all times. But he disregarded the counsel of the elders which they advised him and he conferred with the youths who had grown up with him, who were standing before him. And he said to them, what do you advise that we reply to this people who spoke to me saying, lighten the yoke that your father placed upon us. The youths who had grown up with him spoke to him and said, so shall you say to the people who spoke to you saying, your father made our yoke heavy and you lighten it from upon us. So shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. I'll have to write that one down. I, that may be a good response when you're in an argument with somebody, I don't know. <laughs> and now where my father burdened you with a heavy yoke, I shall add to your yoke. My father flogged you with whips, but I shall do so with Scorpions. Now that, that Hebrew word 
is translated in some uh, Bibles as scourges, but it's the word for scorpion. So he's going to whip them with scorpions. I don't know how you do that, but um, it was an ugly threat. You dare speak to me like this. You think you have it hard now. I'm going to make it harder on you. And if I have to whip you, I'm not going to whip you like my daddy whipped you. I'm going to whip you with scorpions. I'm going to turn scorpions loose on you. So that was a hateful thing to say, right? That, that's, that doesn't seem like a very wise thing to do. It should be understood that the territory that had been given to those tribes was important to the empire and it was important to the trade routes that existed. Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had spoken saying, return to me on the third day. And the king answered them harshly and King Rehoboam disregarded the counsel of the elders. And he spoke to them according to the counsel of the youths, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I shall add to it. My father flogged you with whips, but I shall do so with scorpions. And the king did not heed the people. Because, now look at this. Why is this thing happening? It was brought about by Elohim, God, so that Yahweh might establish his word that he spoke by the hand of Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, there had been a prophecy about all of this. So, who's in control of the situation? Rehoboam wasn't. Jeroboam wasn't. The elders weren't. The youth council wasn't. Elohim was. Why? Because his word was at stake. He had said something's going to happen and it's not going to be very pretty because Solomon had said, okay, well, here's how 1 uh, Kings 12 reads. It's practically the same thing. Rehoboam went to Shechem for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. Now it was when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of this when he was yet in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and Jeroboam had settled in Egypt, and they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke hard. Now you lighten your father's hard work and his heavy yoke, which he placed upon us, and we shall serve you. And he said to them, Go away for three days, return again to me. And the people then uh, departed. And King Rehoboam took counsel with the elders who had attended Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, what counsel do you give to me to reply to these people? And they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to this people today and you will minister to them and you'll respond to them and speak kind words to them, then they will be your servants for all times. He disregarded the counsel of the elders who advised him and he took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and they were attending him. And he said to them, what do you advise that we reply to this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the burden which your father has placed upon us. And the young men that had grown up with him spoke to him saying, so shall you say to this people who have spoken to you saying, your father has made our yoke heavy and you make it lighter for us. Thus you shall speak to them. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. And now where my father did burden you with a heavy yoke, I shall add to your yoke. My father flogged you with whips, but I will flog you with scorpions. 
Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day as the king had spoken, saying, Return to me on the third day. The king replied to the people harshly, and he disregarded the counsel of the elders, which they had advised him. And he spoke to them as the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I shall add to your yoke. My father flogged you with whips, I shall flog you with scorpions. The king did not listen to the people, for it was something brought about by Elohim in order to fulfill his word that Yahweh had spoken through Ahia, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of uh, Nebat. Now that leads us then into the next section of, of, of this uh, portion of the, of the Bible, in 2 Chronicles 10 and 1 Kings 12. The kingdom now will be divided. And all Israel saw that the king had not heeded them. And the people replied to the king saying, what share do we have in David? Now you see here what their thoughts are. Why is it that Judah should be more important than our tribe? See what the, you see where that's headed. And no heritage, we don't have any heritage in Jesse's son. Each man to your homes, Israel. Now see your house, David. And all Israel went to their homes. In other words, we're not going to be part of your kingdom. But the sons of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rechabim, reigned over them. And that was in an area that uh, <clears throat> was just on the border between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And uh, they didn't choose to be part of that, but they were. <clears throat> and King Rehoboam said to Hadram, Hadram, who was appointed over the tax, and the sons of Israel pelted him with stones, and he died. King Rehoboam exerted himself to get up into his chariot to flee Jerusalem. So they chased the king away, the son of Solomon. And the Israelites rebelled against the house of David until this day. And all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them. Now this is 1 Kings. And they replied to the king saying, what share do we have in David and no heritage in Jesse's son? To your homes, Israel. Now see your house, David. The Israelites went to their homes as regards the sons of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Rehoboam ruled over them. So they were, they were not of the tribe of Judah, but they lived in cities in the outer portion and he was their ruler. So they didn't become a part of the northern kingdom. And King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the tax. And all of Israel pelted him with stones and he died. And King Rehoboam exerted himself to get up into his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel revolted against the house of David until this day. So now, in Bible study, from this point onward, what you have <clears throat> developing is uh, the northern kingdom of Israel ruled over by politicians, not the sons of David. And then the southern kingdom where Jerusalem would be, where the temple would be, ruled over by the sons of David. And this is what carries uh, a Bible student through the rest of the Old Testament to the point where Israel then is defeated and collapses and is... is uh, is absorbed into other nations 
and the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, continues on for a while longer until they come under the enslavement of Babylon, which then carries us into the, the prophets uh, and, and the final part of the Old Testament. So this is sort of a watershed uh, place in Bible study. Now, let me, let me talk about seven things that we ought to think about when we study this passage that we looked at. Number one, the work of God always has its hidden enemies nurtured by the world. Jeroboam didn't care anything about what was happening with regard to the work of God. He ran away to the people, to the Egyptians, who were the epitome of paganism in that part of the world in that day. So his ideas were fomented by what he experienced in Egypt. He was away from the temple. He was away from worship. He was away from offering sacrifices. He was away from the developing word of God and from the messages of the prophets and so forth. So here in another part of the world was hidden a man who was growing to be one of the greatest enemies of the throne of David that the Old Testament had seen, namely Jeroboam. And we should, you know, the, the Bible tells us in the New Testament to walk circumspectly, to walk always looking around and aware because the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The, the work of the church and the work of, of Christians today is to be armed with the word of God and to be wary of anything that is happening in the world to know that the enemies of the work of God are hidden and we can't necessarily see them, but they're being influenced by, by darkness. Um, I, don't, I didn't bring my phone. There was an article. You may have seen it. It was, it was, an, it was a news item in uh, Fox News. I saw it really about an hour or so before we came to church. Um, the, and I get them mixed up, but the older Presbyterian group, uh, what are they? The Pres are they Presbyterian USA or Presbyter PCA, Presbyterian Church, or whatever they are? The original Presbyterian group, Fox News. The general council has voted to um, adjust their membership so that they can receive, tell you what, can you get Fox News on there? I don't want to say it wrong. What? Tell me, what are they? Two different, two new groups of members. No, that's it. That's good. That's what I wanted. Non-binary and gender queer. So if you join, you know, like you come, people come and sign a thing here. We'd have to make out a new bunch of papers. Are you male? Are you female? Are you non-binary? Are you trans? What? Gender queer. Gen 
I'm, it came from there. I, it's not, I'm not saying it. Well, I say it. I'm, you know, I'm not that good, but I'm reading it. I would discourage you, if you get mad at me, I would discourage you from seeking membership in that particular denomination. <laughs> um, because, can you see this? Jeroboam is hidden in that church. And he is not in favor of the work of God. So, the work of God always has its hidden enemies nurtured by the world. That's why it's so important for us to be immersed in absolute truth, the word of God. Number two, wisdom is not inherited. Rehoboam was an idiot. Older men who had greater experience in life, not just life in general, but life among those really, really, you know, they were like, um, they were sensitive people, those Israelites were. Those, they were the, the tribes were sensitive. And you have to treat sensitive people carefully. Unless, I mean, you know, you, uh, surely you wouldn't just walk around looking for a fight. That's not what he did. And the wisdom by these older men who had served Solomon, Solomon's wisdom had settled in their lives. But he just refuted and rejected what their counsel was. So wisdom is not inherited. The glories and the wisdom and the intelligence and the advancements of one generation is not necessarily going to be passed that easily to the next generation. So it's a struggle in every generation. I think, and I, the older I get, the more I think about this. I only have my generation and my lifespan in which I can preach and teach. The older I get, the more, the, the more deeply I delve into the Word of God, and then the more I consider the world and the more I experience the things that are happening in the world or I visualize them, observe them, the, the more I long to teach even more and preach even more and do everything I can. But you know what? I'm, either I'm going to be raptured or I'm going to die. And there will be another generation. And the generation today chooses to um, cancel what older generations have learned. This is the truth here. We have to do everything we can in our generation to make the next generation understand the importance of what's going to be happening in their world and share with them, first of all, the word of God and then the way of the world that struggles against the word of God. I don't know. Rehoboam 
was such an easy prey for the devil. Of course, the Lord had said so. Number three, peace among God's people. It's a fragile thing. Okay. Well, I could be here all night in the next week telling you of the times. I've been fairly naive and stupid myself in a lot of ways where somebody and I, somebody will come to me with something that's just a, a really big deal to them, and I don't think it's such a big deal, and I don't realize what a big deal it is to them. And they'll say, don't you think so? And I said, it'll be all right with me. Well, see, they run with that. The preacher just put his stamp of approval on this big thing that we're wanting to do. I can't even remember what it was most of the time. It wasn't that big, de- that big of a deal to me. And then I have the other side of the issue coming to me and saying, well, you said they could. I said that. Well, I said it'd be all right with me. I said, I don't really care. Look at me. I don't care. You know, this is not something that's going to destroy the work of the kingdom. Although they want it to. Peace among the people of God is a fragile thing. It's tricky. I've told you many times, I'm the only guy in this church that can be in a dark room with my face in the corner, not saying a word, alone, nobody in there, and I'll be making somebody mad. That's the truth. I'm not doing what they think I ought to do or, well, yeah, you know, I mean, the, the list is endless. Peace among the people of God is a fragile thing. And it takes the maturing process in spiritual life for people to help those who are less mature in the faith to understand the importance of maintaining peace among the people of God for the sake of the work of God because it's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's, it's all about the overall work of God and, and the word of God, the spread of the word of God and so forth. But some people can really get on a bandwagon. This way the Jeroboam and the way of the Israelites. They, man, this, this thing was fragile to them. Number four, righteousness is always a generational struggle. There's, there's pride that's on display here in these chapters we looked at. Pride, um, foolishness, envy. Uh, you can go on and on and on with the, with the list. David, if you want to think of the three, David, Solomon, and Rehoboam, David was the most righteous of all. Now, he experienced failures, but he understood what his failures were, and he sought forgiveness and repentance and was always collapsed into the presence of a sovereign God. And he wrote those wonderful and beautiful psalms. Obviously, Solomon was less that way. And apparently, at this point, Rehoboam doesn't really have a, a compass of righteous, toward righteousness at all. What really matters with regard 
to the will and purpose of God. Number five, sin is ever at the door. It's crouching, it's lying in wait. It's Satan sets traps for us everywhere. It's only by the grace of God that, that we're able to be able, and, and by our study of the word of God, to be able to see these traps when they exist. Now, this is leading up to something that I'm going to say here in number six. To keep the word of God delivers us from trouble. When I say keep, I mean guard it, protect it, honor it, respect it. Rehoboam obviously had no respect. God went into action and showed the whole bunch of them that what he said in his word through the prophet would be carried out. Didn't matter what the king did. Didn't matter what Jeroboam did. Didn't matter what any of them did. God had spoken. Obviously, Rehoboam didn't know anything about the word of God. And he fell right into this thing. And it brought all kinds of trouble to everybody. I can say that because I have the rest of the Old Testament to see the struggles that both of these nations have from that point forward. The sin and the, the, the attack by the world on a willing Israel, both Judah and Israel, to, to shame the word of their God. This, this, this is another step in that direction. And from this point onward, both, both kingdoms will have nothing but trouble until finally they collapse. Final point, sin always affects the innocent. You remember those people who were in Judah but they were sons of Israel. They weren't sons of Judah. But they were going to be ruled over by Rehoboam. I don't know what kind of dog they might have thought they had in the fight. I don't know. How about so many other families across the northern kingdom or even across the southern kingdom who could have never agreed with the decision that Rehoboam had foolishly made and it negatively and adversely affects all of them from then on to the end of the Old Testament. It's going to affect, affect the trade routes. It's going to cut, well, just right off the bat, more than half of the kingdom was lost just on that day. They walked away. We're not serving you. We don't have an inheritance with Jesse's son. What have we to do with David. So they just walked away. Now here, that, in, that would have carried with it uh, uh, national treasures and in, in, in minerals and so forth. It would have carried away certain key trade routes that existed. All of these things were just gone right then. It affected everybody. Standard of living would have begun to, to spiral downward everywhere, especially in the northern kingdom. So... This foolish 
decision that was that was inundated with a sinful attitude and a and a all I won't, it's not exactly a reprobate mind but it's a a, a a mind that is covered with darkness and filled with pride what Rehoboam had done affected the work of God then from then on until until the end of uh, did I lose my did I lose myself <laughs> huh I don't know well, you get where I'm headed from there. <laughs> Feel like I'm back in my first church. Everybody was affected innocently. Who were innocent were affected, were affected by the sin of Rehoboam. And that brought nothing but trouble for the rest of the Old Testament so that the Old Testament ends this way. These are the last words of the Old Testament, Malachi. Lest I smite the earth with a curse, the end. Wow, what a way to end the Old Testament. I'm done, we'll have our deacon prayer time.